Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is July 31st and today we are reading from the big book and we are at location XXBI. This is in the fourth edition and we are on the, um, it looks like the third full paragraph starting with the doctor's theory. Today's readers are Lois, Ann S., Marsha, Paula, Eddie, and Deb W. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, July 30th, is 2786. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Lois, can you press star one to unmute? Lois from Massachusetts, and we, uh, I'm very happy to be here this morning. I'm going to read the 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, ourselves, and another person the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever we could, when possible, except when to do so would injure them. Ten, continued to, to take personal inventory of ourselves and were, and were, and we really were, admit we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and, under, and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it through. Twelve, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message 
to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now call on Anne S. to read the 12 Traditions. Uh, hi, good morning. My name is Anne, a compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, AA, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anna. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, and we're in the fourth edition, or if you're looking at the fourth edition, we're on page XXVI in the doctor's opinion, and we're on the third full paragraph. It starts with the doctor's theory. I will ask that Marsha please read. Good morning, it's Marsha. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm great, very abstinent today and grateful to be here. Thank you so much. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. 
But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that this explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. I'll stop there and share. Um, really, to be honest, uh, growing up, I never really understood what was wrong with me. I never understood why I was a compulsive eater. I, I couldn't even put a word to it. I just couldn't stop eating. Um, and the doctor's theory that there's an allergy is is absolutely, uh, it was a revelation to me and I know countless others, and uh, to, to suddenly understand that there wasn't really, it's not a power of will. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of, I can't explain, there's an allergy. There is absolutely an allergy in me. There's something in me that just, the light switch just goes on and I just go to town when it comes to sugar and other binge foods. I, I, it, it absolutely makes sense now. After all this time, I, I can finally explain to, to myself and to others what's wrong with me. And it's just brilliant, and and I I I'm, I'm I know we're all blessed uh, at Dr. Silkworth and and what he theorized long ago and how it seems to be um, proving true uh, scientifically these days that this is an actual physical problem, a thing that triggers a chemical that triggers in our brain that goes nuts and says hello, have some more, and. I'm very, very grateful what insight this man had after so many other people in, in years and centuries before tried to understand alcohol um, and, and, and addiction for me. And th- this, this was brilliant. Um, I, I think that, that uh, this was inspired by, by a power greater than all of us, I mean, for, for a man to have had such insight to bring that to us and so that we could, I could share it with people in our, my meeting and I can even share it with people who don't understand what, uh, what compulsive overeating is. And uh, I had to share it a number of times over this past weekend with family who don't understand what I mean by uh, I have an allergy to, to food, certain foods that cause me to crave more food. So um, I think with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. I want to look at that line. I'm going to start there. But as X problem drinkers, see, there's the answer. Somebody else wouldn't understand. They'd read that. Well, interesting, isn't it? No, no, life-changing. That's what it truly is. Then right from there, I'm going to drop down to that last line, scoot right over to, it explains, oh, there it is, what to explain, to make plain, to finally, one of the definitions is clearing up of matters. There it is. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. And I kept trying to do that. Well, it must be this. No, no, it must be that. No, it's this. You're just plain bad, Paula. You just can never do it. All those things. We we have a whole list of them. But that was the part. It explains finally many things. As I said before, the final piece of the puzzle. I was finally given it. And with that, I saw the complete picture. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to share on what was read? 
It's Monica. Hi, it's Rick. Hi, Rick. Uh, go ahead, and then I'm sorry, someone else. Monica. Monica. Okay, Rick, and then Monica. Good morning, Rick, compulsive overeater. Uh, it's important to note that the authors are writing this paragraph, and they're they're letting us know that their point of view is coming as alcoholics, not as doctors. They're saying they are laymen. They're not doctors, but they're letting us know as ex-problem drinkers, as alcoholics, the doctor's opinion makes sense. And it's important when we carry the message that we're carrying the message as a compulsive overeater, not an expert. We, don't, we can't run around telling everybody that we have uh, knowledge that we really don't have about nutrition and expertise in the field. We were all experts on nutrition and dieting. But it didn't do us any good until we decided to follow the directions in this book. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Go ahead, Monica. Monica, press star one to unmute. Yes, sorry. This is Monica, compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to just give the definition there on the word allergy. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. An allergy is an abnormal reaction or an abnormally high sensitivity to certain substances. So whenever we take in a binge food, we have an abnormal reaction to it. And of course, we all know our abnormal reaction is that we want more and we are never satisfied. You know, one bite is too many and a thousand is never enough. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. And, of course, the doctor that they're speaking about is a person by the name of Dr. William Silkworth, who we refer to as a medical saint. And he was the first person to fully understand and put into words what an alcoholic's problem is. And he worked with thousands and thousands and thousands, over 50,000 alcoholic, alcoholics. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century in a hospital that specialized in treatment for alcoholism. And in his work with alcoholics, this doctor, Dr. William Silkworth, found that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, the switch went on inside his body, and only one thing did that alcoholic want to do, and that was to drink more alcohol. And he would continue to drink and drink and drink, and of course he would get drunk, and that alcoholic would be powerless over this once that switch turned on. He had no choice but to continue to drink. Well, when I review my history, when I took a look, when someone brought this big book to life for me and taught me the same paragraph, when I reviewed my eating history, I could identify certain substances that had that same effect on me. It was like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! It wasn't just a taste sensation. When I ate certain substances, 
my body was triggered and I ate more and more and more of that food. And I stopped feeling and I stopped thinking and I numbed out. And that is my experience. I have this allergy of the body. No one else may see it. It's not like someone who breaks out in a rash from strawberries or somebody who, uh, you know, has itchy eyes and and sneezes a lot from, from the pollen that comes up. This is something that I feel internally that my body goes on high alert and there is no satiation. It only intensifies, not satisfies. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Yes, this is Amy. Hi, Amy. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. You know, this idea of an allergy, the abnormal reaction, and the idea of this abnormal reaction, this allergy to our binge foods, we need to be very careful and vigilant in our Overeaters Anonymous program, in our own pro- programs, this idea of these binge foods and what is it that triggers us. I mean, most of us commonly known in OA that sugar is a trigger for probably 99, if I may be so humble to say, for 99, 100% of us. But it's very important that we understand what those binge foods are that are triggering us. Let's be very clear about Amy? Amy, it's Christy. I think you got cut off. Christy, are you there? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. I I think it's very important that we understand what those binge foods are as far as what triggers us. We need to be vigilantly, rigorously honest, like it talks about in the big book, about what those are. It goes way beyond just putting... Uh, a bite of sugar. It's a bite of what triggers us. And for many of us, we need to understand the wet, the breadth and the depth and the, and the, uh, the, you know, the width of what that means. So for example, volume foods, high fat foods, not just the sugar. For many of us, it's more than just putting down something that has sugar. It, it means putting down the foods that trigger us and putting boundaries around that so that we don't trigger those things in our food plan that we have. It's important that we have some sort of boundaries and we need to know and be vigilant and honest as to what those things are. A lot of people, you know, when you go and get a food plan from a nutritionist or something like that, they'll say, oh, free foods, oh, this, oh, that. And it's very important that we work with our sponsors to find out where that abnormal reaction is occurring specifically. What foods, what is it, what is it specifically? hope that made sense. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Anyone else like to share on what was read before we move on? This is Janice. Hi, Janice. Go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you very much. What struck me here in this paragraph is the sentence, it explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account, and but as ex-problem drinkers. You know, if you're sitting here this morning thinking, does this apply to me? Does this apply to me? You know, I think it's as it has been shared, you know, look at your own history. That's what I did. I looked at my own history of compulsive overeating. And then it says as ex-problem drinkers, they're on the other side of this. They had put down the alcohol and then they could see 
what that reaction was and see things more clearly. So I invite you to try this. If you were as desperate as I was to believe this theory, to believe this theory is to put it into practice, to put it into practice. And I can just about guarantee that if you are the kind of compulsive overeater that I am, the critical variety of compulsive overeaters, that you will put down the food, the trigger foods, those foods that set off that abnormal reaction in you, and you will see the truth in this because they saw it as ex-problem drinkers. They had been there, done that, seen the truth. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. All right, let's move on to the next paragraph. I will ask Paula to please read the next paragraph. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer here. I will stop there, and I will tell you, here the challenge to keep within the three-minute amount of time, but that is the amount of time that we're given, and I'll tell you, it's appreciated because I am undisciplined. But, boy, looking at this, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery or befogged. I will speak. No, I did not have hospitalization, but I'll tell you, I sure knew jittery or befogged. I don't know to which level anyone's is, but I will say I understood what this said here. More often than not, it is imperative. Now, that is quite a command that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached as he has then a better chance of understanding. There it is. Give him every chance, every chance. Take every chance that you've got here, and that's what it's given you. Understanding and accepting, and I love this, what we have to offer, and we have a lot to offer. And may I just go back to, for one moment, who is very jittery or refogged, or befogged and with that I want to say we drive forward but when you drive and you look at that windshield in front of you you check that rearview mirror you remember what you saw behind you and with that we continue on and we carry the message thank you for allowing me to share and with that I do pass thank you so much Paula would anyone else like to share on what was read let's press star one to unmute this is Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. Uh, imperative meaning necessary, essential, required. Uh, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Obviously, the elimination of alcohol, or in our case, the elimination of trigger foods, is imperative. It is absolutely necessary, 100%, that I be cleared of my mind and my body, that I not be medicated, drugged out on the couch, in a sugar stupor, or some type of anesthetic effect. Because I need to be available, alert, and emotionally with it for this spiritual journey that this text is going to take me on. This spiritual journey is exactly that. It's spiritual. 
Elimination of alcohol and the substances are absolutely necessary to get me in proper position to be available for this spiritual experience that the big book and the 12 steps are going to take me on. Because what the 12 steps are going to do is lead me into a relationship with a power greater than myself that's going to restore me to sanity. Well, if I am already serving the master of disease, meaning if I am still engaging in my active compulsive overeating, I'm serving a master already. I ain't available. In fact, I'm checked out. I'm not going to be available to cast aside old ideas and old attitudes and be open enough for new ideas and new attitudes. Sorry, that's not going to happen. And I'm not going to be emotionally available to look at my resentments and look at my fears and look at my self-centeredness and look at my dishonesty if I'm digging my hand deeper into a cellophane bag in a bakery box. That's not going to happen. What the big book is instructing me here in the doctor's opinion is that I have to eliminate those substances. And when I do, boy, am I going to get in touch with my need for God. Because if I'm not seeking the ease and comfort in that cellophane bag, I better be getting that comfort somewhere. And what the big book teaches me is that ease and comfort, that safety, that refuge, that protection is going to come from a relationship with God. How do I get that relationship? That's exactly what the 12 steps are all about. But first, it is imperative that my mind and my brain be cleared. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Monica. This is Janet. All right. Monica, you go ahead, and then Janice after Monica. Good morning. Thank you very much. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. And I just wanted to talk about the first part of this sentence. Though we worked out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. And of course, we here, these are the first 100 recovered alcoholics who helped put this book together. Worked out our solution on a spiritual. So there's two levels of how we do this solution work here. There's a spiritual level, which as Leah just said, is getting that relationship with God, our higher power that can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And the other is the altruistic plane. And altruistic means concern for welfare of others, selflessness. So we have two things here we're working on, developing a relationship with God and being a help to somebody else. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. I don't know if I said I'm Janice. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today. Thank you, God. I need to say that out loud. And what it says here is we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. And this was very true. You know, there were some alcoholics whose physical condition had deteriorated so badly that they couldn't think clearly, they couldn't see clearly, they couldn't hear clearly what was being offered in this solution. But, you know, is it any different for us as compulsive overeaters? I don't know about you, but for me, I think not. I think not. I know the action 
of those foods on my brain was made me as jittery and befogged as anything they're talking about here. Anything they're talking about here. You know, that physiological reaction in my body, those things were poison to my body. They set off that allergic reaction. And as Leah had said earlier, I could not think, I could not see and hear clearly those things that were right in front of me. So although it is not as easy perhaps for us to find ways to separate ourselves from our binge food, sometimes treatment is in order, I believe. Sometimes a physical separation that clears our heads can sometimes be a great blessing. But I did not have that experience. My experience was putting down the food with the help of a dietitian, doctor, nutritionist, my sponsor, my fellowship. But it's uncomfortable in the beginning. You know, granted for me, that was an absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary, 100% necessary action in order for these 12 steps to be available to me. But it had to happen first, you know, to put down the food, to feel that uncomfortableness, to feel that detoxing, to clear my brain so that I was available. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. I'm Christy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And in my uh, copy of the big book here, I have this highlighted and underlined. It's bolded and italicized for me. It is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And for me, my experience from 1994 until 1999 is in the rooms of OA waiting waiting for abstinence to somehow wash over me, to somehow take over my jittery and befogged brain. And what I did, what I attempted to do was work the 12 steps. I approached the 12 steps in the food. I approached the 12 steps in the food, and that did not work for me. That did not work for me. I was hoping that by applying the 12 steps, I could somehow get abstinence, that my brain, even though it was still in the food, would no longer be jittery or be fogged, that somehow working steps 1 through 12 magically, magically would uh, make me become abstinent. I would be struck with abstinence. And what I discovered, unfortunately, through a lot of pain, a lot of pain and suffering, is that what I needed to do was put the food down. I needed to have my head clear before I could accept what was presented in the big book, before I could present what was presented, before I could accept what was presented in the big book. And for me, that meant that I had to put my food down. I had to just stop eating compulsively. And then... And then I was ready to hear. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me that I had no idea how much of a fog I was in until I put the food down. I had no idea. I had no idea that food had that impact on my brain. And I didn't know that until I experienced it. I did not know that until I put the food down. And, um, you know, this book it, it was written with the idea that, the alcoholic isn't drinking. The alcoholic isn't drinking. The alcoholic has put the substance down, and then they're going to be taught how to live in sobriety. And 
that was true for me. I needed to put the food down before I could accept, before I could have that spiritual awakening, awakening that would enable that psychic change that would completely, completely transform my life. And um, with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Sharon. Sharon, and then I heard someone else. It's Ken. All right. Go ahead, Sharon, and then Shanna, is it? Ken, thanks. Okay, thank you so much. Go ahead, Sharon. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. This is Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, The... uh, you know, it says here that we have to put down the, they had to put down their alcohol before they could uh, have their mind clear enough to uh, work the program of recovery. Uh, And that's interesting because they just had to put the alcohol down. But we have food and there's so many different varieties and, and uh, different effects that these foods have on us. We have sugar, we have wheat, we have dairy, we have proteins, we have all of these. And I know for my years in, the, in, the, in OA that um, I have always, from the first, I knew I had the allergy to sugar. But what about some of these other things? I'd put sugar down and, and then I'd still drink alcohol. Well, what what that someone in the room finally told me, and I didn't like it, I heard it. Well, if you're still drinking, you're not abstinent. And the reality is, is that the alcohol has sugar, and then the sugar from the alcohol would trigger me. And I'm not speaking of this. Uh, I'm speaking of personally, not to, to anyone else in their program. I'm not here to to say that. But what I'm saying is that oftentimes. What what I ended up having to do is get a sponsor, start working a program where they my I took 100% what I was told to put down, because the reality was as long as I was in the food, in any kind of food, I could not know what my binge foods were, because I was under the influence of my binge food and my binge food would always tell me that I could eat a little bit and it would be okay. So I had to have someone outside of myself tell me to put these things down and let's see what happens. And after a while, once we get you clear, then uh, we can see about adding some of these things back. Now, some of them I never could add back because it was just, um, I knew sugar would just, you know, some of these things I knew for sure would trigger me. So I, I would encourage you to get out. We need outside help. We, we, you can't expect someone who is addicted and under the influence of that addiction to come up with a list of their binge foods themselves without support. That, that's, that's what I believe, and that's the benefit it says here. They favor hospitalization because they needed an outside help. They needed outside help in order to get clean. And then once they were clean, then they could listen to this um, message of recovery. The other thing um, here is this altruistic plane. We recover on a spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. And oftentimes, uh, my experience has been is we want to come into the rooms and get recovered. 
And when we come in, it's all about me. It's all about us. But it says that our program is on a twofold level, altruistic, to that that these first 100 people, they weren't just thinking about their own recovery. They were thinking about how can we help the next one. When we come on the line, we're thinking about initially it's about us because we, in order to be of help to anyone, we first have to recover. But the reality is, is the way we stay recovered is to is to join with others and put our own selfish uh, focus aside and begin to work with others, other compulsive overeaters. And that may, uh, that's just how this program works, um, as well as developing our spiritual life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Go ahead, Shanna. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Um, I'm just going to go into that jittery and befogged. You know, I, I had surgery a couple of years ago, and I remember coming out of that anesthesia. You know, my eyes fluttered open. I remember seeing my mother. I remember trying to reach out my hand to touch her, and that's all I remember. But when I talked to my mom, she talk, I had a full conversation. I answered appropriately. Um, I made eye contact, but I have no memory of it. And that's what we have to understand. When we are in the food, we are under anesthesia. We might be able to fake it out, but we're not able to be present. We're not able to be fully there and available for this program of recovery. You know, if you talk to someone that, you know, got caught for drunk driving, I would say a large percentage of them aren't going to say, oh, yeah, I did that on purpose. It's like I only had a couple. I thought I was okay. And that's what our, our food does to us. It, it, we think we're okay. We don't understand how jittery and befogged we are until we put the food down. You know, it says it's imperative. Well, I think it's imperative that we understand the food is no different than the alcohol. It's imperative that we take our food as seriously as the alcoholic takes their alcohol. Because until we do, we are going to make excuses and find loopholes and not be fully available for this program. So we can work this. Our solution is spiritual, but we're not available if we're still under the anesthesia and under the rationalization of using every form of self-deception and experimentation to prove we're like a normal, normal eater and that we can do what we want to do and still get the benefit of this program. It's not possible, and that's why it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before we embark on this program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? All right, let's move on. I will ask Eddie to read the next paragraph. Eddie, press star one to Good morning. This is Eddie in Virginia. Grateful to be here today and in the recovery. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. Um, this is... Um, you know, a great breakthrough at the, at, the, at this time in um, in the alcoholic uh, treatment of uh, treatment of alcoholics of where it presents some hope to those people who are suffering um, that there is perhaps 
a way out for them. And I know for me, um, I know I shared yesterday, when I realized that there was an actual physical cause uh, for at least a portion of my problem, uh, the relief that swept through me, because uh, here was something that I felt I could at least do um, to perhaps find a way out of this uh, nightmare that I was living in. Um, it just made no sense to me why um, members of my family and people I knew uh, could eat the same foods um, and stop with one or two. Um, and I just continued on and um, and uh, eating uh, in secret and uh, isolating and uh, taking food that wasn't mine and just all kinds of weird and bizarre behaviors uh, and, uh, you know, not realizing that by using the, the, the food um, that I was triggering that cycle, that endless cycle, the hamster on the wheel cycle, um, and that when I read this, um, I just felt that there was some light at the end of the tunnel and it wasn't attached to an oncoming train. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. You know, I was looking at that word, paramount. That's superior to all others. All others didn't take me to the place I am today. And he said it so clearly. Paramount importance to those afflicted. Be clear here. You are afflicted with alcoholic addiction. But I have to say, on the first line that was written, the doctor writes. Did you ever hear somebody say, you really believe that? Put it in writing. That's exactly what he did. He put it in writing. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to share? Sarah, go ahead. So, Paramount's importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating this. So, why is it paramount? Why is it of paramount importance? Because it's after um, experiencing his experience is, rec- is recognizing his human limitation and having hopeless cases. Bill was one of those cases which he had come to believe was hopeless, and this program was giving hope to people. He, with his human limitations, couldn't help. Him and his program, with all their experience and all their knowledge, and this is one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction, and he couldn't help a lot of these people, and this and the people that he couldn't help God could, and this program was helping connect them, was helping them find a solution that no human could provide. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Kathy from Maryland. Hi, Kathy. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everybody. This is Kathy, compulsive overeater. You know, I think one of the things to keep in mind is Dr. Silkworth, 
he wasn't just some bumbling fool that they found on the side of the street draft some sign the bottom of some letter they drafted. You know, how many times do they you look at a self book and get some medical endorsement from some Yahoo that just wants to make quick money? I mean, this guy was in the trenches. He was Doctor Drew. He was Betty. He was had, ran the Betty Ford Clinic. I mean, he was. That's what he was doing at his time, and this was his area of expertise. He had, he had devoted his entire medical career towards helping drug addicts, alcohol and drug addicts. And he knew what the limitations were. There was no unknown with him. He knew that despite everything he tried, it wasn't working. He couldn't fix the problem. And these guys had tapped on to something he had never thought of, never had done, and it was working. And it got them to recovery. It got them out of the grips of their addiction and got them living a fulfilled life. And it's just amazing that he would latch on to these guys, implement what they did, which was not a medical-tested procedure, and risk us all to something that actually worked. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Kim. Hi, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says it's of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. It doesn't say importance to those who drink. Because just because you drink doesn't mean that you're an alcoholic. Just because you might overeat sometimes doesn't mean you're a compulsive overeater. So this is what, what does it mean to be afflicted with this alcoholic addiction? You know, I am not an alcoholic. You know, if I sat down next to an alcoholic and we both did five shots of tequila, we both get drunk. That's the normal reaction to having alcohol. The difference is I would feel sick and not what anymore. The alcoholic would want to know if they can, he can have the rest of my tequila and will be out drinking tequila the rest of the night. So we have to know if we're afflicted, you know, when I sit down to Thanksgiving dinner when I was with my disease, my dad's a big eater. We probably eat the same amount. The difference is, is he wouldn't want to eat anymore. And I'd be volunteering to clean up in the kitchen so I could eat everyone's leftovers, and I'd be putting stuff in napkins and going into the bathroom, and I would eat straight through to New Year's. Because that's, I am afflicted with compulsive overeating. I have that abnormal reaction. I have that allergy of the body. And even a bigger problem is once I have that willpower, once I can buck up and put that food down, I have a mind that tells me, it wasn't that bad. You're making way too big a deal out of this. You lost 20 pounds. You know, what was the difference? Just have one. So that's what this is so important. This isn't a book about for people that drink. This is a book for people that are alcoholics. You know, OA is not for people that just occasionally eat too much. It's not for someone who's 40 pounds, 60 pounds, 70 pounds overweight. It's about having this disease. It's about being afflicted with the disease of compulsive overeating. And if you are like me, if you have that allergy of the body, if you have that obsession of the mind, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Monica. Hi, Monica. Go ahead. Good morning again. This is Monica. I just wanted to to bring out the the uh, a couple of um definitions here. Afflicted, troubled, suffering, tormented. To those afflicted, to those troubled, suffering, tormented with alcoholic addic- addiction. And the other word was addiction. Um compulsive 
physiological and psychological need for a habit-forming substance or a condition of being habitually or compulsively occupied with or involved with something. Well, I know I was habitually compulsively occupied with food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else? Anyone else like to share on what was read? All right, let's move on. Deb W., will you please read the next paragraph? Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Deb. I'm a compulsive overeater from Michigan. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. With what our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Wow, <laughs> there's so much in these uh, two paragraphs. And um, what I'd like to say is uh, so many things stand out to me, but it is so neat to hear, um, to read these words from him. He's seeing that these people have a solution. And he, you know, a sense of real, there was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such master, masterly detail in these pages. He's saying, you know what, this is it. <laughs> and for me to be able to give my opinion on the medical side of things, wow, what a privilege and an honor, you know. And I, I just think that's so cool. And again, I'm just seeing humility, humility just beyond all things. It's just so cool. So it says, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. Um, the form of moral psychology here that it's talking about requires a relationship with God. That's the bottom line. That's what we require because for so long I set up food as my master and God is my master today. I realized today that um, I can't serve two masters. I don't want to serve two masters, and I choose God today. Um, the other thing I want to say is, um, but if the application presented difficulties beyond our conception, that's because they were looking at it from a medical point of view. They're they're not looking at it from the standpoint of that spiritual aspect. You know, they're just looking at the allergy of the body and that kind of thing. They couldn't tackle what it the bottom line was. And again, the bottom line was this um, relationship with God. And then I want to also bring out one more thing, and it says, we are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. What does synthetic mean? That is man-made, manufactured, artificial, or invented. That's, that's something that man has come up with, you know. Um, what we need is what God comes up with for us, and that is, um, you know, trust relying depending on what he'd have us be and do today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Deb W. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Leah. Hi, Leah. Go ahead. 
Thank you so much. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. I mean, down through history, people were just plain baffled by the uh, alcoholic, you know, very confused. They thought he must be weak or sinful or crazy, and doctors also were confused by that behavior. I mean, you know, listen, Mr. Smith, you know, you're losing your wife, you're losing your job, you crashed a few cars along the way. Uh, you know, don't you think that's enough pain and suffering to stop drinking? And, of course, uh, you know, we think the next uh, answer for us is to pick up a drink. Uh, it is confusing. And doctors, you know, Medicine, men of medicine, men of science, they stood powerless by the bedside of these alcoholics, powerless, helpless against the obsession of the mind. So it says here, with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge, our man-made knowledge. This goes beyond intellect. We need something beyond intellect. Yes, they, you know, these men serve us well, these men of medicine and men of science, and they are experts in their field. But in terms of recovering, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, well, that's going to take something beyond the intellect to achieve. Beyond the intellect. And indeed, that's what was occurring here in this AA movement. Beyond the intellect that people's lives were transformed. Beyond the intellect that the obsession of the mind of these men who were thought to be hopeless and doomed for the rest of their life the obsession of the mind was driven out beyond the intellect that these men and women who did recover had now been given the power to help others. This is something beyond the intellect. It's beyond knowledge. It goes beyond the academics. It goes into the world of the spiritual. It goes into the world of a higher power greater than ourselves who can restore us to sanity. And then through that gratitude of having a transformed and rehabilitated life, we with pleasure with absolute pleasure and with responsibility and with the obligation and with the duty that we feel, we pass it on to the next person who's suffering. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula Mashia. Sure, Paula, go this ahead. Thank Thank you. Paula and then uh, Janice. Thank you. Just want to look at that word, but it's application, presented difficulties. It's like I put you in front of a wall, I give you a can of paint. Until it's applied, you don't have the tool there. You got the paint, you got the wall, but you don't have what you need. And doesn't it say that? And again, they use the word apply. And we can see that it's a derivative of application. To apply the powers of good, they couldn't do it that lie outside why our synthetic knowledge thank you for allowing me to share and with that I do pass thank you Paula Janice go ahead thank you Christy thank you I don't want to forget that you know before the 1930s alcoholics did not recover they did not recover you know they were thought of as being sinful and had no willpower and lacking moral character but here was something that Dr. Silkworth saw with his very own eyes was happening. Even though they had tried, 
to get these men sober and then apply some moral psychology. They knew that was needed. But they also saw repeatedly these men go back out and pick up again. So here was an approach. Here was something that was working in an entirely different way. And with such humility, this doctor was able to see and then believe by what he was seeing, the experience of these 100 recovered alcoholics. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. We will stop there. Uh, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Marsha, would you please read a vision for you? If you're still on the line, Marsha. Yes, I'm still here. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Let me get this. Our book is meant to be suggested only. Oh, sorry. Just lost my page. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Marsha. I will ask everyone.